Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. We just had 12 and a half minutes of great content. We believe that we lost it, all of it. And this is the first time and we're having to restart a podcast and for us, it'll be redundant for a few minutes, but man, frustrating. Sorry, Braxton. RIP, good content. RIP. It was. Yeah, it, was, it really was. You guys <laughs> who were listening, if you don't get to hear it, unbelievable stuff. But Yeah, I can't, like, I would probably say some of the greatest 12 minutes we've put down here on Tripping Over the Barrel that none of you will ever be able to listen to. And then uh, me, you know, I don't even know if this is recording right now after what just happened. Hey, I've lost just- faith in humanity today. <laughs> <laughs> you go back and do your meditation again? <laughs> I think I'm going to need to. That was a fun conversation too. We'll jump back into that. Um, but a losing content, you, you should know you are a young chief marketing officer, right? So yep. you can, you can sympathize with that level of frustration. Okay. Well, one, well, one of the things we lost here is our guest today is uh, Braxton Huggins, uh, currently with Datagration. Uh, Braxton, let's, uh, we need to kind of revisit your bio here. Um, kind of give us the, your background, um, and then, you know, how you got into this space. Yeah, so for sure. I'll, and I'll hit the, the high points because it is a little redundant for, for you guys, but uh, for the listeners, it'll be, <laughs> it'll be new content, new fresh content. Um, uh, yeah. So seventh generation Texan, like I said, um, families born and raised here in Fort Worth, Grew up in a small town called Paradise, Texas, which is northwest of Fort Worth. Um, you know, I have been in marketing for the last 12 years and various functions, various roles. Uh, worked with some great companies in the industry and um, that are non-industry as well. So Hearst, uh, who owns the Houston Chronicle there in Houston, I've got to do uh, work with. And then Halliburton, which uh, we all know uh, I've been able to, to work with. And uh, yeah, today um, got two incredible sons uh, live here in Fort Worth, and like you said, currently the CMO for Datagration. So seventh generation Texan. So we discussed earlier, but that we think that wins the the uh, battle for the mo- the best claim, the most Texan, the most Texan that we've ever had on this show for sure. And uh, you know, I was thinking, what so- if I should get that tattooed? You might the as most- well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think you're Texan? I'm more Texan. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and so, and while we're doing all this, you know, that, that new show, uh, 1883, the prequel, the Yellowstone's going on oh, and yeah, it, you yeah. know, that, that set the first, at least the first, uh, episode, I don't know about the rest is really kind of set in old Fort Worth. And, yeah. uh, I was, I was kind of shocked to see just how they portrayed Fort Worth. I don't know if that's how it was or not, but, uh, we were discussing Jeremy while you were off, but it's filmed right I, down the road from where he's living. I know someone yeah. who can tell you how it was. Oh, who's, who's that? Well, you you happen to have them on your podcast well, right you now. I'm sure right. they have the the written in the family annals somewhere about what it was like in the 1880s. No, seriously, I mean that's uh that's that's really cool stuff. Are you going to watch that? Yeah, of course. Uh, I've, I've watched yeah. the the first one, and then like uh, I was telling Tim, a big Yellowstone fan, so I've kind of followed it uh, all the way till today. I've been slacking with the with the shows lately. You know, f- funny tie Tim with the podcast we did earlier with Sarah Stogner. Um, talked a lot about cannabis. And one of the things I was thinking is the Hearst family is one of the ones that started the whole reefer madness campaign many, many years ago. Really? Right. 
that that led to sort of the uh, demonization of marijuana. Um, yeah, interesting, uh, interesting tale. So tie, ties it all back um, somehow with our guests here. But I've got I've got a bunch of questions for you, Braxton, and I think one of them. And and fortunately, I don't really like the way that I asked it last time, so I'm going to ask it a different way this time. I see a lot of people not wanting to get into oil and gas, younger people, just in general. Even yeah. if I can say, "Hey, here's an opportunity we're placing for," it's, uh, it, and I can make it sound really cool, it's just not as exciting as a well-funded SaaS technology company that's sort of free of the energy, oil and gas type roots. Um, You've made the decision to stay focused in oil and gas tech. And I wanted to sort of see from your perspective, uh, the opportunities you think there are, despite the fact that there are some shortcomings with a lot of the data and technology in oil and gas. Yeah, so I think that for you and you know being able to recruit into the, the industry, positioning a lot of these companies as true software companies and pulling comparisons from outside the industry, right, is the, the best way just to get their attention. Um, not even mentioning oil and gas, not even mentioning yeah. ener- energy in some instances. Um, just it's a pure technology play and being able to position it uh, in that manner is is really what we're going to have to do here in the interim to continue building our talent pools, continue uh, recruiting the, the top tier talent. Um, and then I do think that as the industry transitions into you know new ways of positioning themselves and new ways of you know accomplishing a lot of their personal and company goals, um, it'll be less oil and gas specific and they'll probably be going through a rebranding exercise as we see a lot of the operators doing today. Um, and so that'll be the, the natural progression. I feel like is starting with tech and then, you know, five, 10 years from now, um, oil and gas might not even be in companies names anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We've touched on that a little bit here. Yeah. And I think, and, and I think the, uh, yeah, the, the industry has not done a good job of branding itself. I mean, historically from the, yeah. you know, from the, other than, you know, the J.R. Ewing, you know, big money, you know, perception, that really hasn't done a great job of doing that. We had uh, Dr. Spath from A&M on. He's the department head. And we talked about that. You know, we know the future of oil and gas is strong. There's yeah. a need for the, the young people coming in now. There's a strong need. And it's going to be around, well, I mean, for as long as our lifetimes exist. So there's going to be an industry. And then it's going to morph. Yeah. Uh, we know that we're going to need hydrogen storage and ammonia storage and all the other things that we're trans- tr- going to transition to in 50 years. The same technologies are going to be needed for that. Sure. So, I mean, it's a branding problem and, you know, it's going to be difficult to, I think, get the the young people. They all want to go into what's sexy and new and Bitcoin and whatever else is coming in. Sure. Right? <clears throat> so, um, as far as Braxton uh, data creation, so wanted to to talk a little bit about this company. Sort of, uh, how did you end up there, and, and and what do you, what are you passionate about, right? What what do you get up every day um, in terms of work? And and I preface that by saying I know that your background is in data, and, and you've got a pretty, um, you know, broad view of technology solutions. And this is sort of the company that you choose chose to go to. So I'm curious what. Yeah. What, what is it that stood out and kind of what gets you going on a daily basis uh, business-wise? 
Yeah. So prior to data integration, I was actually doing a lot of consulting for energy tech companies there in Houston, nice. um, from geospatial companies to cybersecurity companies to um, you know general data companies like production data, um, and that's all they were doing. And whenever I was approached um, to join data integration, you know, understanding that the software plays nicely with all of those single solutions and all those different applications was nice because as a marketer, I also have that challenge, right? Mm -hmm. There's very few, few platforms that are out there that are able to integrate all the different applications into a single view. Um, I use HubSpot for that. And mm -hmm. I no longer have to worry about you know, my email service, my social media service, my uh, paid media service, you know, all these different one-off solutions because, you know, HubSpot has it right there in that single view. Very similar to Datagration and the Petrovisor platform, you know, they're going to be able to pull in, you know, that, you know, wells and drilling data, the HSC data, the petrophysics and geology data all into a single location. And I truly believe that it gives operators that advantage uh, just from a, a data management perspective, but also being able to have visibility into their operations. And that's, that's really what is attractive for, for me is, you know, being able to educate operators, educate the industry that there are better ways to manage data, but there's also a solution that allows you to have it all in one place. Nice. Yeah. So your, your title is uh, CMO or chief marketing officer. So what, What's kind of the day-to-day -day for you from a marketing perspective? Depends on the day, <laughs> right? right. You know, we, we could talk Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and every day is going to be different. You know, one day I might be crafting a press release. Um, the next day I might be working on the website. And, you know, for me, I really pride myself on being a, a generalist in marketing and kind of being able to do it all. Um, I manage everything from our website to our social content, to our PR content, to all of our paid media and advertising opportunities, uh, any sponsorships or in-person events, I'll help coordinate that. And then I do work a lot with our executives on their speaking engagements and how they can reach out to their peer network. So crafting those emails, crafting that content for them uh, is a part of just my day-to-day -day task. So as a, now, Jeremy and I are, well, Jeremy's a sales guy. I'm kind of a CEO. sales guy, kind of a sales guy, but CEO. I think, Hey, stop it. <laughs> um, I think that so many times I find if I say I'm in sales or Jeremy says he's in sales, yeah. they always want to throw the end marketing afterwards, yeah. Yeah. you know, and so I'm, I'm going to use this opportunity to kind of let you define the difference between sales and marketing. What is the role of marketing? What is the role of sales? And how do they, why do they get stuck together so often? You know, I'm going to be a biased marketer and say that marketing actually covers all business functions. And okay. I work with sales just as much as I do with our customer success teams. And that's an important, you know, piece of the, the marketing role today is it's not so much getting inbound traffic, but also as marketers, we're going to have to retain our customers and come up with strategies to, you know, kind of make their experience better, uh, provide opportunities for, for upselling and cross-selling. And that's 
customer success because after right. implementation, it's going to roll over to that you know business unit and they're now in charge of you know, keeping that customer happy. But just like all the inbound content, they're going to need PDFs, they're going to need videos, they're going to need microsites, they're going to need you know all the different elements of marketing for their roles. So you know, looking at sales, the big differentiation from a customer success in them is you know how I approach and the the voice that I use in you know going after prospects. Yeah, because I've yeah. seen it handled, and I think it you know just kind of depends on the personality, especially in startups. Yeah, I've seen where the sales function guy becomes the uh, the sales and mar- own sales and marketing. Yeah. And for them, marketing has one function and that is to deliver leads. Okay. You know, yeah. and sure. when it's, when marketing and sales kind of have a separate approach, then you get into the branding and the, all the other things where that aren't necessarily just straight lead generation. Right. Right. That's why right. I, that's kind of why I phrased the question. I really wanted to, to uh, get into that just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for, for me, branding versus lead gen are the same in terms of priority. And especially for companies like Datagration who are, are, are new to the market, you know, branding is extremely important because we need to be consistent in our visuals, yep. our voice, um, you know, our product delivery, anything that we do um, has to be consistent. Um, that's one of the biggest killers for, for startups today, I believe, is inconsistency. They can never get momentum in how they're delivering you know, any type of strategy, any type of product development, um, because you do have these different voices of sales, product development, marketing that are all saying something different. And if you are an organization that are getting ready to go to market, having a consistent message across your entire organization is super, super important. It is. It is. And, you know, I, I've actually been reflecting back and thinking back at, I mean, I've, I've worked at a number of different companies, of course, do consulting with various different organizations. And I think that the best companies that I've seen, the sales and marketing team have a very strong feedback loop yeah. that would go from sales to marketing and marketing can then distill what the message is. I've seen too many times marketing come in, especially if it's a new chief marketing officer, come in and say, this is the message. And then the sales guy gets disgruntled because they don't believe that's actually what it does. And now they're pissed off that they're saying that's the message and this is what it really does. And, you know, I've seen that a million times, right? So I think that feedback loop is is super critical in the alignment with the uh, with the revenue side. So, so yes, I, I agree. There's the customer success. You need to have that alignment so you can understand the stories you want to pitch press releases. And I've seen a lot more of this too. I think I, as a, as a sales guy, um, you know, had generally just viewed like what Tim said, it's just whatever can drive leads. And that's how I can quantify if it was effective. I've talked to Colin McClellan about this. Like, how can you say what the value is of their, one of their events? If somebody buys right away, then maybe it's going to be a bust. Yeah. Does it result in two meetings? Okay, maybe it's good. What if somebody buys something 14 months down the road and it's the biggest deal you've ever done and, and you can trace it back? It's very hard, yeah. right? Or was that past the statute of limitations for it to be a value? So, so you know, I, I think that's a, a challenge for marketing in general is how do you quantify yeah. the value that you provide over time when you know some of these things are going to take a long time? Sure. So, like, for, for me, like, I've made just a, a conscious effort to say, hey, if I'm not able to track return on any type of marketing event, I'm not going to do it. 
right? And you know that sometimes disgruntles some individuals because you know they might want to speak or might want to sponsor an event. Like we got clay shoots, we got golf tournaments, we got all these you know great networking events. But for me as a marketer, and that's coming out of my marketing budget, I want to be able to prove you know my worth and my return uh, for the company and. If I'm not able to track those metrics, I just don't do it. And, you know, HubSpot is, is a great tool for that. And being able to showcase, like, what is a marketing sourced deal and marketing sourced revenue versus marketing influenced revenue, like, that's an important differentiation. And, you know, one of the KPIs and the KPIs that I look at every single day. Well, it's interesting. I've got a kind of a side story. I've got a, a, a conference that, I really enjoy going to, and Jeremy does as well, uh, put on by GDS. We really like the format. Uh, it's expensive, uh, yeah. from, especially for a small company doing, you know, it, it takes a good p- chunk of the budget. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my software uh, has a long sales cycle, um, OVS. And sometimes it's, you lose track. We make a sale, but it might be two years later, but it really came yeah. from a GDS conference. So it's real hard for when you're, pitching for marketing dollars to go yeah. back to a, a show that took two years to close, but it wound up being a six to one return yeah. on investment. So can you do it again? So there's a, there's a time window. So my question to you is, and I'm not pitching that conference, although if anyone wants to talk about it, I'm happy to, what is the, the window that you would give a meeting or a, uh, uh, an event or something like that to determine its success or not? So, for, for my success, it's it's getting meetings right there in the very beginning is how as a marketer can I get meetings, whether they're in person, whether they're virtual uh, for our, our sales and our BD teams. And that's how I first measure success. And for me, like that needs to happen within you know the first seven days, 14 days. You know, uh, sometimes like I'm sending leads and our sales team is following up within 15 minutes. So it, it really kind of d- depends. But as a marketer, first priority is to, to get meetings. Um, second priority is to influence those individuals uh, to a point of sale. And, and that's when they're putting pen to paper for that contract. And that could take, like you said, it could take six months, nine months, 12 months. It, it really depends for, for software sales. Um, as I look at where I believe that we should stay um, I'm looking at other industries and how they're doing their software sales. And, you know, it's 30 to 45, you know, 60 days. So your metric is delivering the meeting and getting the sales team involved. Yeah. And do you continue on to measure? Does it go to close or? Yeah, absolutely. So um, okay. being able to see the full full pipeline and being able to see the full progression of that lead from, you know, entry point to contract one, like I'm able to have that visibility. And that's important. Um, yeah. because like I, like I mentioned, just because the, the contract has been signed, doesn't mean that the, um, the deal stops because that is when we'll transition that out of our sales pipeline into the customer success pipeline. And they go through a progression of steps to which marketing's involved in. I, I want to jump into, and this is, this is really insightful. I'm enjoying the, the, all the marketing talk. It shows me how little I actually know, even though at one point I was a <laughs> VP of marketing somewhere technically. Yep. Maybe I shouldn't have been. Um, I'm curious about um, the marketing approach for a new 
startup technology company versus going in and doing marketing or running marketing for a more established type company, right? Especially if that company has a fairly good brand established. Can you talk a little bit about like some of your experiences and like, you know, do you have to be more aggressive in some ways or, or a little more gentle in others or, uh, you know what I mean? Be, be more uh, risque versus conservative. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious kind of your perspective in, in the, the two kind of, uh, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So I, I think that everybody's going to have a different sales approach and a different marketing uh, approach, whether you're conservative or whether you're, you know, very forward in how you, you know, are trying to get customers. But the, the foundation really needs to remain the same. That's where, you know, companies need to commit to that message, commit to that approach. Um, they need to follow through with what they say they're going to do. That's a big piece of it. I see a lot of startups where they'll go and tell the world about their product but they never showcase it. They never follow through with the, what they say that they truly have or what they say that they're going to give the industry. So focus, commit, follow through, and, and being able to have that as your core foundation as a marketer uh, is important for the, these new companies trying to get into this space. As far, yeah, as, like, as, far as like just getting leads and stuff like that, um, there's so many tools, whether it's free or paid tools that allow you to segment the audience that you are really focused on yeah. um, for a very low commitment. So you're going to have the, the right people to talk to. It's no longer the days of having to, you know, find the business cards or go out and do door to door knocking. Um, you have digital tools that can help you scale those efforts way faster than it was, you know, five, even 10 years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just within the last year, I've gotten into zoom info. Um, yeah. matter of oh, fact, yeah. if you look at my screen, I got the little Z right here off the corner of my screen. So do just I. To, so do I. I got just both of us go, go find everything we want about Braxton Huggins at whatever right. company, but yeah, Let, let's go back. To, I want to go back in the history because I'm, I'm actually leading the witness on this one, Jeremy. I want to get back to the story, <laughs> but so you're coming out of Fort Worth. You, you go attend Abilene Christian. Yeah. It, you know, looking at your history, you go, it looks like you went straight into marketing. Was that your, was that your aim was to go into marketing in school? Yeah. So it wasn't the initial aim. Uh, I did want to be an international lawyer, but quickly under, uh, found out that it was going to take way too long and I did not want to go to school for that. <laughs> you just be getting started right, right now. Too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking at my sister and she's getting her doctorate and she's going into like her ninth or 10th year uh, of school. And like, for me, I just can't, can't do yeah. it. Right. Um, I, I was able to graduate, uh, from ACU in three years. So I wanted to get out of there as fast as possible. Um, but Understanding that the the lawyer route was not going to be it, I started doing kind of the Facebook business pages for startups and churches um, there in the Abilene area. At the time, you know, Facebook business pages had just launched, so using that as a way to get those companies noticed um, was how I really got into marketing. And then you you got out of school, and I guess you went to work for Rig Data pretty much straight out of school, right? Yeah, straight out of school, um, was able to to get a job with the family company, and uh, you know the rest is history. Yeah. So, anyway, so this is what I want to plug into. But so while you're there, you're the social media marketing manager, and this was yeah. what 2010 ish. Yeah. So, uh, and and you know, I am leading you because I want to get to the story that was on the other recording we didn't get to. But you know, what was what was that like working with family and and kind of building a marketing program for Rig Data? 
Yeah. So for, for rig data, the traditional marketing method was, you know, we had our, our calendars that we would send out every year that would go to the dog houses and, and it had our logo on it. And then our, our reports, which we mailed out every Friday, um, that was the, the main marketing. There wasn't a whole lot of effort there. Um, so I came in 2010, helped rebrand and rebuild the, the website. That was a, a core function that I did. And then, you know, social media, while it was interesting, I had launched the Rig Data Twitter account, I had launched the Rig Data LinkedIn and Facebook, and, you know, my granddad had found it. And he's like, hey, Braxton, um, there's no place for social media in oil and gas. And so if you want to do social media for for oil and gas, uh, you're going to have to go do it somewhere else. And at that point is when I said, you know what, I think it's it's not a fad, it's going to stay around. And so I uh, ended up leaving Rig Data for uh, there for a short step. So would you say your own grandfather fired you? I wouldn't say fired because he, he might have him, a He showed him the door and said, if you'd like to open it, go right ahead. And he <laughs> said, I believe on the other side, there's really great things. And his grandfather uh, said, then go find them somewhere else. It was a, it was a heavily influenced conversation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks, grandpops. Yeah. But I mean, but nonetheless, maybe you needed that for your own career anyway, your own evolution, yeah, right? Like yeah, you you yeah. probably would have stayed more stagnant, right? I, I truly think so. And that really uh, allowed me to go and have these great opportunities with a, a variety of different companies, all in that kind of digital marketing space. And I know if I would have stayed there at, at Rig Data, um, I, I would have been stagnant and I, you know, just, I wouldn't have as, been able to. As is always the case, those adversities and challenges yeah. you know what's right you know you know where you're going if it's yeah. if this you know that those challenges always when you look back well that was a i'm glad it happened maybe maybe not the way it did but i'm glad it happened because now you know yeah. cmo at a up-and-coming oil and gas software company called datagration and right it's a great story yeah, no, I mean, it's really, and really, it's just getting started, right? I mean, you know, you, you guys are, are a young company, you're still fairly young in your career. Uh, yeah. You know, I love the fact that, you know, he's in the very small percentage of people that said he has liked our podcast on YouTube, apparently, which is uh, <laughs> really, I mean, he kind of made my day. I'm not gonna lie. Because uh, I thought it was either my account, or maybe, you know, my daughter's account, if I like signed myself out and signed in <laughs> as her so I could like it additionally. But no, th this is, this is really, uh, Hey, I, I do want to. I do want to challenge you on the is data creation really a young company? There's a lot of history behind this company that goes back. I mean, one could argue yeah. to 2003, 2004. Yeah, I mean, sure. one could argue. Uh, yeah. You know, so there was a, a company formed in Austria years ago. Uh, yeah. Decide. Yeah. That yeah. wound up selling to Schlumberger and. You know, over a long period of time, that core group of people go out and start another company. Yeah. And, you know, and I guess the name Datagration is what, a year, 14 months old now? Yeah. So we, we launched uh, yeah, last year. So a little over a, a year and some change. I like so, that. I mean, but to, to, to answer your question, yes. Um, the, the technology that we have has been commercialized for well over a decade. Um, so, that's that's our PetroVisor platform, um, which uh, was created in Austria by Michael Studner. 
Um, and wow. a lot of our team is still there and, you know, they are, are cranking out tons of work, tons of great work, but, that's, uh, data integration, yes, is, is new. From that's what I think, you know, and that's what I, I think is kind of cool about data integration. It was, it's been around a while. And then, um, I forget the investment group, but came in and the name data integration comes about and yeah. suddenly I'm, I'm going to brag on you a little bit because my feed on LinkedIn you know, I've got some cookies. I've done some research yeah. on data integration. It's covered with data integration ads. I mean, I get yeah. all over the place. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, I've seen some it's of those. Very, it's very effective and some crawlers. Yeah, I'm constantly seeing data integration, and I might add a very consistent look and feel. Different messages yeah. that all kind of point. You know, try to point back. Um, right. But anyway, I just I think it's yeah. uh, really spent. I, I envy quite honestly, as a quasi competitor to data integration, the effort that the way you've spent your marketing dollars is I think yeah. been very effective, at least marketing to me, who's not a buyer. So you know, right. you're spending some money to hit me, but uh, it is, has been very effective in my opinion. Well, thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. I mean, being no, able to, to know that the, the industry is, is seeing um, what we're putting out there, that's always encouraging to, to hear. Um, obviously, I can see the metrics on, on my end, um, and I have my own metrics on what I'm going to say is successful. But um, you know, being able to to hear that individuals like yourself are, are seeing our content and believe that it's a true, consistent look and feel like that's a huge check box, you know, check mark on on my side. Yeah, I mean the the marketing is really good. The product, unfortunately, is based on Unidata. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wonder how many of our listeners even know what Unidata is. And if it if it's a disturbingly high number, that's a problem. Yeah, it's just just your former clients at Bolo. That's all who know that, right? People are still buying it, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, no, th- this is a... I didn't know that, Tim. Because from my perspective, it was just a completely brand new thing without knowing that yeah. history, right? So, so absolutely kudos on the, the branding side. And yeah, I do notice that it does crawl with me on my fantasy sites. Uh, so clearly it's got me kind of profiled, which, which it fantasy should. Fantasy sports right? sites. Let's just Sorry, make sure. fantasy. So I want to make sure you're not getting yeah, a bad reputation with your fantasy that. sites. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I do. I do very much appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I do admire um, brand building just because of the amount of consistency that it, that it does require. Um, and it's something that I've learned a little bit about this year too. Um, just kind of in building my own brand. And, and that's a, a question I have for you is, is how do you, as a, as a mark, a person who understands the power in branding in marketing, in the value yeah. of that. How do you separate yourself from your brand? And I know it's an awkward question to ask somebody who's W2, but I'm just curious, right? Because while you're building datagration, the odds are you're not going to be a datagration for your entire career. You're still right. going to be building your resume toward whatever chief marketing officer or beyond type role that you want. So, so how yeah. do you, like what advice would you have to other marketers potentially or people in general that want to build their company's brand, but also want to build their own brand? Yeah. Yeah. Um, First word of advice is find a good mentor, uh, honestly. Um, I think that as, as young individuals, we desperately need to have mentorship. Um, and as a, as a marketer specifically, I can you know look back and there's been half a dozen or so individuals that I've considered a mentor in my life who basically have 
built my brand for me, like through referrals, through, you know, being able to, to brag on me and being able to you know, really make those introductions who I'm, you know, I'm very introverted by nature. So I'm not going to have that, you know, extroverted, I got to go find leads. I got to go, you know, be proactive. And um, I'm kind of the, I just want to sit back. I want to do the work really, really well. I want to let that speak for, for me and for what I can offer uh, to, to companies. But, uh, but yeah, that all comes through good mentorship. And, and that's what I would suggest for, for anybody that is currently in the industry, but also um, coming into the industry as a, as a grad or as a you know, one or two year experienced hire. Yeah, that's great advice. Great advice. So, yeah, and I think it 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 really spans. It's not just for marketing or branding right. or anything like that. I think that is for for all walks of life um, and the multiple your multiple roles in life. Uh, I mean, Braxton, you're a father. You're a marketing manager. You're, uh, I assume, a husband. Uh, you know, a devastated uh, Cowboys fan potentially. So, no. you know, all of, so no. anyway, I think. In all walks of life, you know, mentors are going to be a big thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, Jeremy has his own set of uh, Yodas in his background as well, who are mentoring him up. So that's uh, that's but good. Yeah, they've been they've been screaming quite a bit. Uh, not streaming. That's screaming uh, here in the lockdown cabin fever mid. Uh, we just watched Home Alone last night too. Oh yeah, and it's just so timeless, right? You snuggle up with your kids, watch Home Alone. They they love it, right? It's just a, a totally timeless classic. I think um, I've, I think I've watched the the Grinch for a year and a half straight. Like my my oldest son, like that's what he wants to watch every night before he goes to bed for whatever nice. reason. So my constant day to day is living in Christmas, and so I I, I truly think I I've become the Grinch so much to so like for. Without the holidays, like our family has like matching Grinch pajamas. So like, Daddy's that's, the Grinch. that's who, who I am now. Look, I can, I, I can empathize. It may be even a little bit more than you, but my father-in-law was a big Dr. Seuss Grinch fan from the 70s. And so during Christmas, my wife, well, girlfriend then, wife now, we would sit down every night before any meal 26 minutes before the meal, we would start the cartoon. So, and he would just sit there and just recite the whole movie. Yep. So anyway, yep. and as a consequence, I now have the Grinch, little Cindy Lou Who, and Max in my front yard as our Christmas decoration. So yep. there you go. Yep. And there's no sense in taking them down anytime soon because it's not like you got a snowstorm coming through. No, doesn't look like it. Man, this is this is good stuff. I, I wish we had the other 12 minutes too, but I still feel like we crammed a lot in into yeah. this one. Um, Braxton, where can where can people find you? Where can they find uh, Datagration? Yeah, so Datagration, pretty simple, datagration.com. Um, for me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, shoot me a, an email if you want at braxton at huggins at gmail.com if you don't want to talk to Datagration all the time. But uh, yeah, pretty simple. I'm out there and more than happy to connect. Love Great it. job, Braxton. Love having you on. Um, it was a little bit awkward for me just because there is a certain level of competition we have. But yeah. I think uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not a big deal to, to talk to your competitors in a, in a professional way. So. But, but Tim, 
and I know we, we're supposed to sign off, but I, I do want to chime in on this. And Braxton has a responsibility to this. And really all, all of us on this call and surely some of, some of our listeners to a lot of people, all of everything sounds the same, right? And that's actually yeah. a problem because surely yeah. what Datagration does is different oh. than what OVS Group does versus what Spotfire does or Enla or whoever else is, you know, uh, I could I could name a half dozen Combo Curve, uh, other companies. Like what you say it does or what somebody hears, it sounds like it does, could sound the same over and over yeah. again, right? And so it really is a challenge to everyone to say, this is why. Like we're different. Here's a story. yeah, and that's right. I, I will say that is the number one challenge that I currently have as, as a CMO yeah. is and differentiating away from everybody else. There's so, so many, and there's it, uh, we're now starting a whole new thread that could last another 45 minutes. But <laughs> there are only so many words out there. Yes. You know, like yes. the the word digital oil field. Yeah. yeah. If you say that you've automatically triggered somebody, they now have you in a bucket that is not the bucket yep. you're in. Yep. But in fact, we use it this way. Petroleum experts uses it this way. And yep. then, you know, and so you're, everyone's out there. I remember when I was a spot fire, we tried to corner the term business analytics because business intelligence was already taken. So right. we're going to be business analytics. Well, we were too early. The word analytics didn't take off until mm. seven years later and suddenly everybody claimed their, their flag in the ground around analytics. That was okay. us. We were that first. And, you know, and it's really difficult because the words do, you know, all of us will say, yes, uh, we we work with operators to reduce operating expenses, increase production and increase operational efficiency. Yep. A lot of these guys and 12 companies have said that this week. Yeah. 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 So what do you, what do you really do? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Anyway, well, that's I, what I, I empathize, yeah. empathize with marketing because you've got to try and come yeah. up with that phrase. What is the yeah. 30 seconds that I can say that uniquely defines datagration or spot fire or whatever else? Yeah. Uh, it, that's difficult. It was, it was really uh, so much easier when there was less noise and less companies doing it, right? Like yeah. you, you, could, you could create what the story was and then there's, well, who else is doing it? All right, it's just them. Now it feels like, oh, I can find endless options that do. I saw the same thing happen with AFE workflow, Tim. There was one point where there was like two companies doing it. And then three years later, there's like 10 companies that have like a somewhat viable AFE work. And it's like, well, shit. All right. Um, (laughs) You know, and now I'm seeing sort of that data management integration, BI piece. Oh, we can do that. You tell, like, you you think a consultant, like I work with consultants, I would say, of course, that's, that's what we do. What do you mean? We've, we've proven exactly that. Right. So um, there's all different flavors. Right. And, and certainly there's there's reasons that these companies exist. Right. It's, yeah. it's not generally fool's gold. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Hey, really Braxton, it's great. I, I we kind of jumped man. into a new thread here, but it's great having you on and love to bring you back on if we get a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate uh, appreciate the time. See you, Braxton. Later.